Welcome back, my friends, to the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I am your host, Wilk of Wilksworld.com, and I am so incredibly grateful that you are taking the time to join me for another powerful DTH episode. Friends, at the D-Rate the Hate podcast, it's all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. See, we did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. That all starts with gratitude and personal accountability. We cannot control everything that happens to us in life, but we can control how we react to it. How we act, how we react, no matter what happens to us, how we react to it makes the difference. Friends, there is only one good thing about a bad attitude, and that is that we have the ability as individuals to change it. Here on the DTH Podcast, we strive to bring you great guests and provide tools to do just that. Please be sure to share it with your friends. Subscribe if you haven't done so. Ratings and feedback are always greatly appreciated. And with that, let's get to this week's episode. The topics of gun control, gun safety, and gun violence prevention are an everlasting gobstopper in our news and in our lives today. And for this episode, I've invited my friends Paul Norris and Mark Beckwith back to the program to continue that discussion. And two words that keep on coming up are fear and trust. So what role does fear and trust play in the conversation about gun safety and gun violence prevention? Now, if you're not familiar with or do not remember my friends Paul Norris and Mark Beckwith, they are a couple of my great friends from Braver Angels that have joined me on the podcast before. Paul Norris is a graduate of UC Berkeley. He has a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in counseling. A gun owner from age 12, he is an NRA benefactor member and an advocate for gun safety. Paul is currently retired, but still works part-time in counseling. He is an active member in Braver Angels, serving as a moderator and a state coordinator. Mark Beckwith is a bishop in the Episcopal Church, and he is a longtime gun violence activist and one of the co-founders of Bishops United Against Gun Violence. Mark, too, is a leader in Braver Angels who is passionate about helping people move beyond the confines of their political and religious silos in order to find a common ground. Be sure to check out our show notes for the link to Mark's recently published book, Seeing the Unseen, Beyond Prejudices, Paradigms, and Party Lines. While Mark and Paul would typically fall on opposite sides of the gun debate, they understand that just because it's a contentious topic does not mean it has to be a contentious conversation. Do not miss this great conversation with my friends Paul Norris and Mark Beckwith. Here we go. Paul Norris, Mark Beckwith, my friends, I I can't tell you how much I appreciate having you back on the D-Rate the Hate podcast. Good to see you guys again. It's, It's been quite some time. But uh, it is a conversation that I wanted to have again. So welcome back to the D-Rate the Hate podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Wilk. Good to be here. Indeed. I have high hopes that we will move far beyond where we did our last conversation. Yes, I, I, I think that's uh, I think that's true. And I, I think I think when you when it comes to a topic like gun control and and or gun safety, gun gun safety advocacy, gun violence prevention, gun policy in general. There's there's always so much to talk about. There's there's a wide spectrum of of things that can come into the conversation, and just having that ability to have people that can have a civil conversation and and do what needs to be done to actually you know maybe provide solutions, maybe 
maybe show people that it doesn't have to be a toxic conversation is very important. So Mark, Paul, what I want to do today is start off first and kind of reflect on that first conversation we had back uh, back in December of 2021. So it was about seven months ago when we had that first conversation. And that was more of a roundtable. Uh, obviously, we had a few more people. We had Jim Curry. We had uh, David Iwinski, our friend from Braver Angels. And, and then Randy Liaz was on there as well. And um, <clears throat> the format didn't didn't quite work as well as I had hoped. But we had some good things come out of it, and, and and I just would like each of you to reflect. So I'll start off with you, Paul, if I could. Um, just just take a, a quick minute to to reflect on that conversation and what you thought of it, and then uh, and then mention a little bit about our friend David Iwinski, who's who's uh, un- unfortunate passing uh, happened a couple months ago, and and that uh, caught us all by surprise but we do know during that first conversation that we had he was already under the weather he was a trooper came and sat in on a conversation but but really wasn't up to the real David Iwinski that we all knew so just take a few minutes uh real quick uh Paul and and reflect on that first conversation and and talk a little bit about our friend David Iwinski well dog on it Wilkie stole my thunder <laughs> <laughs> You pretty much said a lot of what there is to be said. I um, I reflected, I think, uh, because of the dynamics that first time, I think it ended up being uh, a little bit more adversarial than I hope we're going to end up being today. So that's my overall reflection. I was really saddened. I mean, you know, David was not fully there. And I... I, I'm really sorry that I did not realize how ill he was uh, already by the time we had that podcast. And, you know, he passed away later. That was the last time I ever saw him. And um, doggone it, you know, I just really miss him. And a lot of people in Brave Angels really do. He was he was truly a unique individual uh, who brought something that – I don't think anybody else in Braver Angels quite managed to do. Um, he just had this incredible ability to really, really stand by what he believed in and yet not make it personal, you know? So the kind of guy, you know, with whom, you know, you can, uh, you know, argue toe to toe for two hours and then go out and have a beer later, you know, and just have a good time with each other. So very, very much missed. David Owinsky. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. He was a he was a, a a genuine and unique and just incredible individual. And the uh, I obviously I didn't know him nearly as well as as you and some others in Braver Angels, but the times where I actually had an opportunity to speak with him was uh was always a treat. Mark, why don't you uh reflect a little bit on our first conversation and then maybe even talk about the 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 Braver Angels podcast that you and I just did a uh, a month or so ago about uh, about gun policy and gun safety. Sure, thanks, Wilk. I reflecting back on the conversation we had several months ago, uh, what can happen, and I think it happened with me, and I dare say it happened with all of us, as one is listening to someone presenting a different point of view. One is not. I'm not really listening. I'm fashioning my rebuttal. Yep. And the good news about gathering today, Paul and I have met in person before COVID. 
uh, a leadership gathering on Long Island uh, in February of 2020, I think it was. And then Wilk, you and I have done a podcast together. Uh, Paul and I have have had conversations on a podcast and other uh, gatherings through Braver Angels. So there is this relationship that has developed. And my hope is that I, that we can listen uh, at a deeper level rather than trying to just make points to counter uh, the other person's argument. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I, I, I can't agree more. That's that's one of the big problems that we find when, when we get together people of differing opinions is we often listen with an intention to to reply rather than you know, listening to uh, to really absorb what the other person is saying. And so that's a very good point. And, and the fact that we have built these relationships up so far and we've got previous uh, previous interactions with each other will really help. So looking forward to the conversation, my friends. So uh, such a good, uh, you know, such a good pairing between the two of you. And uh, I'm just glad that you've joined me again here on the Derate the Hate podcast. So, so we'll kind of get right into the topic, you know, talking about um, gun violence prevention, gun policy, how it relates to us, and and how we see those issues and 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 things that we we maybe can agree upon, and things that uh, things that we think might make. Uh, make things better for all humanity going forward. So very important topic, and uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Knowing what we know about each other, what would you say the values we have? We've all had, we've all had these conversations together, so we know a little bit about each other. So that's kind of a great segue. What would you say the values are that we hold in common? Start with you, Mark. I think the values that we hold in common around, certainly around the issue of guns, is we want to save lives. Uh, and reduce violence. Uh, I think there's a common uh, concern about that and, and how we go about that. I think there's a difference of opinion about that. But to be able to say, okay, we are in the business of trying to save lives. Yeah. And Paul? Uh, I would add to that um, increased quality of life, increased safety, perceived safety as well as actual safety to diminish fear. Mark, I, you know, I don't know if we've, I don't think we've ever actually talked about this. I actually think we have very, very similar spiritual orientations. Mm -hmm. Um, And I base that on the, uh, the title of your book, Mm -hmm. uh, which if you would like to plug it now, you know, you certainly (laughs) haven't read the book, but I will tell you that the title, you know, really the title really speaks to me. So I'm pretty sure the contents would as well. Well, the title is Seeing the Unseen, Beyond Prejudices, Paradigms, and Party Lines. And a key component of the book is introducing the mandorla, which is an Italian word for almond, which is the shape that's created when you have two circles intersect. And in medieval arts, in Christian medieval art, you have lots of depictions of uh, Jesus in the mandorla. Uh, But today, if we bring it forward, the intersection between from uh, the Braver Angels perspective is between red and blue. And in our culture now, there are forces and voices on both sides to try and push people to the outer edge of their circle. And I think what Braver Angels tries to do, and certainly what I want to do, is to see if there is common ground. And it's not to uh, pull one side to the other or not to compromise. Uh, I'm discovering as I'm desiring to invite people into the center 
I'm more fierce in my commitments uh, to the positions that I hold, but I find that I'm less defensive and more able to listen. So <clears throat> that is uh, kind of the essence of it, is this mandorla space, uh, which is a place of transformation, a place of, of openness, a place of hope. And, uh, and I'm passionate about seeing if I can help free other people up from the constraints of whatever political tribe or ideological tribe or in some cases, religious tribe that they are in, they can sort of confine us. Uh, the world, the, uh, um, our experience of, of life is much broader than that, and we can learn from each other. Nice. I really like that, the space of transformation, getting in there, being able to listen, being able to work with and, and understand and really get an understanding of those that, that we may not agree with but we can we can come to a I think you said it very nice, Mark. You're you're closer to that that center and you're more fierce in your beliefs, but you have a greater willingness to listen. And, and I think that's that's so important. I, I think that's really good. So I, I like that. I, I like the plug you got in there for your book, Seeing the Unseen, Beyond the Prejudices, the Paradigms, and the Party Lines. Thank you for that. And I'm looking forward to Available checking out on that Amazon. Book. Available on Amazon. <laughs> Absolutely. With that said, Paul, Mark, what do we see as fundamental differences between, say, the gun rights advocate side? I know Paul is a a, uh, a member of the NRA. He's been around guns his whole life, as I have. He's 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 been a gun um, a gun safety instructor. And then, Mark, your your work at after after the Sandy Hook mass shooting and and the things that you've done to address uh, address gun violence and issues like that, what do you see? And I'm going to start with Paul here. What do you see as the fundamental differences between those two groups? And I, I don't mean those fringe outside edges that get all the airplay, but really the the people that fall into those groups, but they may not. Like I said, they're not on that fringe outside. They have their beliefs. What would you find as our fundamental differences? Starting with you, Paul. You know, I think I, I, in my mind, I am finding a superficial answer, and I'm finding a much, much deeper answer. The more superficial answer is, do you believe that people actually have the right to keep and bear arms um, for the purposes of self-defense? Um, also, to have people be empowered. Um, you know, uh, Mao said, you know, all power comes out of the barrel of a gun. And, you know, no matter how where you go in the arguments about, you know, uh, could a citizen, an armed citizenry uh, overcome tyranny, um, there is something about gun ownership uh, that is empowering in and of itself. Um, that's the superficial answer. Uh, I think, you know, the deeper answers are actually fear and trust. And I'm hoping, you know, that perhaps that will be uh, where we end up going later. Um, last night, there was a debate where uh, Mark made this wonderful speech, you know, where he's saying what this is really about is it's all about fear. And I agree with him about that completely. Uh, but I would also add trust. And I will just very briefly mention that... Um, uh, maybe I'll get this in during the podcast at some point. Um, but 
recent actions by our governor and our legislature in California after the Brewer decision from the Supreme Court are pretty naked violations of trust and distrust destroying. Okay. All right. And and Mark, what would you say from your perspective are the fundamental differences between um, people on the gun violence prevention side and the gun rights activist side? Well, I want to pick up what, what Paul said about fear. And I'll start with a story that comes to me from gathering a group of teenagers after the Parkland shooting in 2018 on Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday, as it turned out. And I got these teenagers together to, to process what this was about. And uh, one girl, she was a sophomore, junior in high school. She said she was walking down the hall with her friend, her best friend. And they said to each other, sort of playfully, jokingly, okay, if somebody comes in, do I drape myself over you or do you drape yourself over me? And they, they tittered about it. They laughed about it. But at some level, they were serious because they were scared. And they were scared. I think we're all scared. We're scared of COVID and climate and racial issues, economic issues, climate change, uh, 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 the war in, in, in Ukraine. And, and then since Uvalde, Buffalo and uh, Indianapolis and uh, the other uh, shootings, Highland Park, uh, people are more and more afraid. And so the question is, the difference is, well, how do we deal with our fear? How do we deal with our fear? And I think, as I understand it, people on the gun rights side maintain that more guns make us safer, having guns make us safer. And people on my side of, the, of this divide think, no, more guns make us uh, more at risk. And how do we deal with fear? Sure. Um, and and uh, we are afraid. And I, I make the, the case that I think that... We're afraid of, uh, and in such a way that people who have guns think that if somebody's coming at them, they're going to be afraid, but they are empowered, as Paul just said, with a gun to either uh, dismantle or remove the person who is the threat. And the thought is that that takes care of the fear. Uh, and it does for a moment. I think what it does ultimately is it just exacerbates the fear. Mm -hmm. And so we have more and more fear and less and less trust. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking, and it was said last night in this debate that Braver Angels conducted, somebody mentioned that there are 400 million guns in America and also mentioned uh, <laughs> you can't go around and just take them all away. Uh, but, there was sort of, this is some somebody from the gun rights side. How do we deal with all those guns? How can we, how can we make our communities safer with all those guns? Do we need them all? Do we need, uh, uh, um, are there some that sh people shouldn't have? Are there some people who shouldn't have guns? And can we work together uh, to make it safer and acknowledge that? Uh, in this country, from the beginning, guns have been part of people's lives. Mm -hmm. Haven't been mm -hmm. a part of my life, but as right. you both said, it's been part of your lives. And that needs to be honored. That needs to be respected uh, and needs to be dealt with. So uh, how, do we, how do we manage this? So, Paul, 
Uh, one of the things that keeps on coming up in these conversations, and it, it came up in our first conversation back in December, it came up in the podcast that Mark and I did with Kieran, uh, is that word fear. And I look at the word fear, and, and and I know it was brought up by our friend David Iwinski in the in the December conversation. You know, like he said, and I've even said plenty of times in in public forums. I don't carry a gun out of fear. I don't own my guns out of fear. I know, I believe you even said something about fear in that first conversation, Paul. Talk to me how about the word fear and, and how you see fear specifically in this conversation. Uh, because it, it is a it is a very legitimate thing that, that Mark is saying. There are a lot of people that have this genuine fear of firearms and and with fear uh you know fear breeds ignorance ignorance breeds fear it's a it's a double-edged sword there but then they all oftentimes lead to fear leads to anger and and hate and and then more things so paul tell me how you see the word fear and how it plays into the overall conversation on guns gun policy and and the like yeah. Hmm. Well, this is really interesting. We're going in directions, you know, substantially different from the uh, the typical uh, iconic conversation about this. And uh, I will call that a good thing. I mean, a couple of things come to mind, you know, pretty much immediately. People are not particularly rational in what they're afraid of. I definitely, you know, get that um, kids have fear of school shootings. Uh, I heard of somebody not so long ago uh, who had the opportunity to be an exchange student from Mexico uh, into the United States and decided not to do it because she was afraid of school shootings, which is kind of ironic because, you know, the murder rate in Mexico is just out of sight. Oh, it's um, outrageous. It's outrageous. But I mean, so, so people have this enormous fear about something that is an incredibly rare event but it looms large in their mind. And why does it loom so large in their mind? Um, it's because uh, it is something that uh, when it happens, it is played up in the news. It is, you know, I mean, we have, we have a culture that glamorizes violence. The media glamorizes violence. Uh, school shootings sell newspapers depicting people using machine guns on each other uh, is standard fare in Hollywood, so much easier to do than to actually create a plot that's meaningful. So this culture of violence, and, you know, you think about it, if, if you're somebody, you know, and I'm not necessarily going to say insane, but somebody who just kind of like has self-hate and just can't find any real meaning in life, you want to do something where everybody's going to know your name. School shooting. Wait mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's going to be glamorized because everybody's going to know your name. So that's, you know, that contributes to a culture of fear. But again, you know, the thing that is far more likely to happen is, you know, you're far more likely to have somebody break into your home. There aren't a whole lot of home invasion robberies in the United States. They're much more common in places like England mm -hmm. because we, it's, it's risky to do home invasion robberies in the United States. Very. It's risky because people have guns for self-defense. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, I, I feel like I'm kind of rambling here. Oh, uh, and that's a, and and that's all right because I think you made a very good point, Paul, and and it's something that I I want to get to. It, it it's a nice segue into. Well, what? Let, me, let me just add one more thing, if I could. Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah. One of the ways that is so different, I think, um, and I will say this, you know, between Mark and myself, but also just kind of in general, is when somebody commits, somebody does a bad thing with a gun, my focus is to look at the person. Mm-hmm. And what can we do about the person that got the person to do something like that? And I think on the other side, they tend to look more at the gun. Yeah. Uh, so that is a significant difference. There is a significant difference there. And, and it, it's something that I've mentioned plenty of times. And, you know, in that conversation that Mark and I had on the Braver Angels podcast with Kieran, uh, I talked uh, uh, about a couple of those things. I, you know, I, I think the gun in a lot of ways is just a byproduct in that violence conversation. But again, like I've t- said on the podcast several times is the hateful rhetoric sells soap. The media sensationalizes, they sensationalize the violence, they use the the gun, and the gun becomes kind of a byproduct. And, and Mark can talk uh, a little bit about this after I bring up, you know, you, you talked about how guns are used in, in, in defensive gun uses. You didn't say the word, but I, I will, uh, because how it's risky to invade a home. Uh, invade a, an occupied dwelling in the United States. So actions like that are, are far less prevalent in the United States than other countries where people are not able to defend themselves with guns. And I think this is a misconception uh, between people on the gun violence prevention side and the gun gun advocacy side is the number of times that guns are used in this country for defensive purposes. And I think this is part of that divide. And and it's one that I would love to clear up because it's something that I mentioned in in that conversation with Mark. It's something that I've mentioned in conversations with others. And and it's dismissed as as almost insignificant. But the the stats, which I don't want to get into a bunch of stats in this in this episode, but the stats actually prove and, and I I misstated it in that conversation, but the stats actually prove, and and it's been done by people on, on both sides, that defensive gun uses in this country, the number of defensive gun uses far outweigh the number of people that are actually murdered with guns or the number of times that there are homicides committed in this country with guns. So I don't want to dismiss the significance of that in the conversation. So going to Mark's point earlier, how do we square the fact that there are 400 million guns in this country? How do we make people feel safe and help to eliminate that fear? And, and how do we also square that with the fact that so many of those guns, number one, will never do any harm to anybody because it's the person, not the gun. But most of those guns are owned by people like you and I, Paul, who have a very, very strong sense of gun safety and we would never use our gun in a way that would would hurt or harm anybody that was not trying to hurt or harm us so so mark go ahead and 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 yeah. take a take a quick minute or well, two to respond the, to that uh, and and uh, i don't want to get into the statistics that you cited uh about um america being safer in terms of home invasion uh because people are are armed 
but I but I, what I want to focus on is um, a, a, a guy I've worked with some who is a, a gun trainer uh, talks about a self-defense plan and a self-defense plan that one would have in a home assumes, at least to me, that we're protecting ourselves from an intruder. So inherent in that statement is a level of fear. We fear that somebody may come into our house uh, and, and threaten us, rob us, uh, harm us, kill us. So there is that fear. And I would also submit that all of us, either at the kitchen table on the playground, were taught to be afraid of someone or a certain kind of person uh, and to either be afraid of them or to put them down, which then leads to a level of fear. And I would submit, and I will hold to this, we all learned that. We all learned that. If you think that we didn't learn it, we need to think again. We learned it either in our religious community, at the kitchen table, at school, on the playground. We learned it somewhere. And we have absorbed that, all of us, to some degree, some to greater degree, some to other degrees. I've learned a level of prejudice from a very early age. I'd like to say that I've gotten rid of it. I haven't. I've learned to manage it. Okay. That it deals with the fear. I think gun, guns is not the best way to deal with that fear. As I uh, uh, mentioned last night, I consider guns to be fear transfer machines, that, that the fear that one might feel from an intruder is then thwarted by the gun who cuts down the intruder, taking away the fear for the moment. It doesn't solve the fear. And my concern about people who, uh, who want to continue to arm themselves is that that will reduce the fear. I think it just exacerbates it. It certainly exacerbates it in me. Okay, point taken. You know, can, can, let me weigh in. Um, yeah. Mark, I mean, I really find, you know, there's a lot um, that uh, I agree with you on. I mean, you know, we're in somewhat similar professions. You know, I counsel people and a lot of... Um, a lot of what I counsel people about are their fears. And fears are sometimes actually quite rational, but probably, you know, for most of us, a lot of the time, they're actually not rational. They are, uh, as you have said, uh, what not your word, but inculcated, uh, programmed into us. And I mean, this is my work, you know, this is my work in counseling with people. And as far as, you know, the gun being a fear transfer machine, there's a certain accuracy in that. Um, and does it solve the societal problems? I mean, I would love to live in a society where I didn't feel like I needed a gun. You know, I would love that. I don't live in that society. Uh, I live in San Francisco, uh, which has experimented with a new kind of criminal justice system where we have people who repeat crimes over and over and over again and are released. I even had a conversation, uh, uh, well, no, I guess it's probably not fair for me to give to drop that person's name, but somebody who is a very prominent Blue and Braver Angels who talked to me about, you know, in his, uh, his work with police, you know, police would sometimes say, yeah, you know, sometimes we arrest somebody and they tell us, you know what, why are you arresting me? I'm going to be out of jail before you finish your shift. And in fact, that turns out to be true. So, so self-protection 
But it's not like I want somebody to be afraid of me. You know, the ideal circumstance of self-defense is that either somebody just knows I have a gun and they don't try anything, or they find out that I have a gun and they decide that I am no longer an easy victim. Um, and the thing about that is that is invisible. So uh, I don't really particularly like throwing stats around, uh, but I do like to point out that misuse of a gun is very, very visible uh, because either there's a horrible injury or there's a dead body. Mm-hmm. Very visible. Proper use of a gun is invisible. Uh, if somebody, you know, if like, say, uh, I'm on the street and I'm carrying a gun, and as I have experienced, you know, I suddenly find myself surrounded by three muggers. Uh, I get out the gun and I display it and they decide to leave me alone. Am I going to report that? No, I'm not going to report it. It's invisible. And oftentimes those oftentimes those things go unreported because people are afraid that they're going to get in trouble. And that's a that's a legitimate fear in the society we live in today. Yeah, I mean, there are cases, you know, in, in California, for example, you know, if you had a legitimate use of self-defense, there's a good chance that those three muggers would go and report you to the police. I mean, there this has happened. Yeah. yeah. It has happened. Um, so, you know, let's look at this a little bit deeper, Mark, you know, this thing about fear. Um, and again, it is not my intention to walk around making people afraid of me. It is my intention to have effective, the effective ability to protect myself, by the way, as a 75-year-old man who is now seen as easy prey, which was not the case when I was a youth. Yeah, no, those those things are 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 very valid. Both points are, are valid on both sides, and, and I appreciate you both making them. All right, so let's move our conversation into kind of a solutions phase. I'd like to get both of your inputs on how each of your positions proposes to reduce violence. Paul, let's start with you. So reducing violence, and I'm glad, you know, you put that as reducing violence, reducing violence overall. And, you know, again, you know, I find, you know, there are a whole bunch of pat answers that I could give, but this is a devilishly difficult problem um, in our country, as divided as we are. And again, you know, I go back to trust. I can't see how I can make a deal uh, with, say, somebody like Gavin Newsom. I don't think I can make a deal. I, I'm thinking of the Ukraine. You know, the Ukraine, I, I don't know if people remember this, the Ukraine gave up nuclear weapons based on a promise that they would never be invaded by Russia. And so, you know, this this is this is the level of trust that I feel. I feel zero. Um, mm-hmm. You know, let me, I mean, would I trust Mark? Would I, if Mark were in charge, would I make a deal with Mark? Yeah, I'd love to. But Mark's not in charge. So let me just tell you a couple of things. Um, the state of California, right after Brewer, the attorney general uh, has a website, and they posted downloadable information about gun owners in California, including a complete list of all the CCW holders, which included their addresses. So this was publicly available for download. And, you know, and that included people like, you know, women who had restraining orders. Uh, It included um, judges. 
you know, just a horrible violation. Uh, so anyway, you know, so begin. OK, so the attorney general's website, you know, posted this. And there were other things, you know, that were up as well, but, you know, not quite as easy to identify the people. Um, a horrible violation of trust. And, you know, at first I thought, well, you know, this was like some, you know, techie who worked for the state of California who decided to do this. But I don't know, you know, with the reaction of the attorney general since I'm I'm actually I believe that he may have actually deliberately had that done. Or, you know, there was an emergency legislation passed that for emergency taking effect immediately that forbade all marketing of firearms or firearms training or even firearms safety to uh, to children, you know, and children. What does that mean? That means under 21. Yeah, you know, an incredible violation of the First Amendment. And they passed it as an emergency measure. Yeah. Effective immediately. I mean, you know, that's it's clearly thumbing their nose at the Supreme Court. So with things like that, how can I give ground and how can I trust? I think this is the key issue. Um, so, you know, this is not the question you asked me. How do we move forward? Well, I guess it is the answer. So we cannot move forward until we have some kind of trust where people will make agreements that are binding agreements. And it's not just the next step towards the next round of negotiations and loss of rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a very valid concern. I think you make some very good points there, Paul, that, uh, that that trust factor between the individual and the government has to be there if there's any ground for us to move forward with with that. And I, I do agree with you there. Now, Mark, how would you propose, what, is, what would be your proposal to try and reduce violence when it comes to the gun conversation? Yeah, and I want to respond to the issue of trust, and then I will speak uh, to, to your question directly, uh, Wilk, because it seems to me as I, as I listen to you, Paul, and to you, Wilk, uh, when you're out and about uh, and you are armed, concealed carry, have a permit, all the rest of it. it. It seems to me that, as you said earlier, Paul, that you're easy prey for someone. That suggests to me that you are protecting yourself, not trusting who you're going to come in contact with. And I think that that just uh, reinforces the lack of trust in our communities. If we go out thinking, I need a gun because I'm not going to trust the person who's coming, uh, walking up uh, um, the other way along the street, uh, that just exacerbates the issue of, of, uh, of mistrust, it seems to me. And is there a way to get at that? And I think there is a way to get at that. Uh, and it's been um, moving forward across the country. I'm part of the New Hampshire Firearm Safety Coalition, which is the first one in the country where people in the mental health community and uh, gun shop owners were working together to reduce the incidence of suicide. Uh, more than half of gun deaths are by suicide with guns. Gun suicides are the most, I hate to use the term, effective form of suicide uh, as opposed to drugs or whatever. And people on both sides were saying, 
we need to reduce the level of suicide. And the way they've done that uh, and, and been effective is to get gun shop owners, and there have been several around the country, who say, hey, look, if you're really feeling uh, um, at wit's end, and I'm thinking of a video that I saw of a gun shop owner who very vulnerably said, I was in a very, very bad place. And a friend of mine came and said, can I take your gun for, uh, for a, 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 a period of time? And the gun owner said, he saved my life. Uh, that, that is the solution. And again, uh, 25,000 deaths are by gun suicide a year. And I think that's something that we can work at. Extreme um, risk protection orders are, are designed to do that. I want to talk to, about somebody I knew in Washington state whose husband committed suicide with a firearm and she started a, a movement. And she said <clears throat> they had some legislation in Washington state and they um, engaged somebody who was a senior member of the NRA uh, who was incredibly helpful at reframing the legislation that made more sense and was more uh, appealing to everyone. Uh, that person's no longer with the NRA, but she said that there was somebody on the other side who one would think would be diametrically opposed to all of this, who is a part of this. So I think that is, that is an arena where we can really make an impact. And there, uh, the New Hampshire Firearm Safety Coalition has been replicated uh, in 10, 15 states around the country. Uh, again, gun shop owners, gun rights owners, and mental health people on the gun violence prevention side working together to see if we can reduce this level of, of suicide. And the VA has gotten involved too, because as we know, uh, that's a significant problem among veterans. It certainly is. Uh, suicide is 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 uh, yeah a, a terrible terrible epidemic now uh, amongst veterans, combat veterans coming back from overseas, and and the things that they've seen, and and the their their inability to to get the help that they need for their PTSD and things like that. There, there's no denying the fact that some of those people that are suffering from some se severe mental illness, uh, PTSD, and the like. Uh, if if they do readily have access to a firearm, and, and there's no way also to deny the fact that guns, in most cases, and attempted suicide with the gun is a successful suicide. That was a bad way to say it because attempted and no, there's not a good way to say it. And what <laughs> I'm learning is the impulse to commit suicide is often just an impulse. It's very rarely planned out, and rarely do people then think about if they're unsuccessful of trying it again. It's not to say it doesn't happen, but the incidence goes way, way down if somebody um, is able to be talked out of suicide. So can I can I respond? So go ahead, Paul. Go ahead and respond to that. Yeah, well, the first thing, um, I want to talk about the experience of concealed carry, uh, which I have not, I have not, I don't have that in California, but I had a trip that I went on with my best friend, you know, where I did have the experience of concealed carry. And, you know, the experience is not what I think people on the other side imagine, you know, that you're wa walking around and feeling more powerful than the people around you and continually looking for danger and continually thinking about the gun. 
it's actually more like fire insurance in my experience. After a while, you just forget it. You forget that you have it uh, unless a situation arises in which you need it. And that is the experience of concealed carry. It's, you know, I I didn't feel like, you know, like you like I was understood when you said, you know, it's like about not trusting the people we encounter. It's again more like fire insurance. It's more like uh the outlier. It's more like the experience that happens sometimes. It's not the experience that we happen all the time. I walk down the street, I'm smiling at people. You know, I'm I'm one of the few old white guys who will actually smile at people and think, hey, maybe somebody will smile back at me. It happens sometimes. So again, you know, it's there if needed, and the likelihood that it's going to be needed is not high. But if it is needed, the importance is very high. And the Uh, analogy I like to use, Paul, and not to interrupt, but the analogy that I like to use, because I've been in the transportation industry, and more specifically, the propane transportation industry, for the majority of my adult life. And all the years that I was driving the trucks, hauling propane, I always had to have a fire extinguisher on board that truck. Now, my hopes is that I never have to use that fire extinguisher. I don't think about that fire extinguisher, but I know where it is. I know how to use it. And if it's needed, I better be prepared to use it. So that's the analogy that I like to use. It, it doesn't, I don't feel more empowered by it. And, and I, I, again, I, I think, and that's why I said it earlier, I think, I think there are so many misconceptions between the people on different sides of this topic, but it's so important to have this conversation and these kind of conversations because these kind of conversations really give people on both sides of the issue information, but it also shows them that it doesn't have to be a combative, you know, a, a, a very tense and a very um, negative experience to have the conversation. It helps to eliminate that ignorance. It helps to, uh, it helps to ease the minds of those whom we, we, with which we disagree because they can see that there are different sides of the issue, but it doesn't have to be a contentious issue. One thing that I hope the two of you will agree with me on a couple of years ago, I, I took a gun course, a gun safety course, which was the prerequisite to getting a gun permit in Massachusetts, where I was living at the time. And uh, uh, the instructor who was a retired police officer had us come up and pick up a facsimile, uh, same size and heft of a gun. And there were 16 of us in the class. And he said, after all of us came up and held it and pointed it, he said, half of you would have shot me in the stomach because you picked it up wrong and you put your finger on the trigger and I'm going to teach you how to do it properly. And he, and he proceeded to do that. But I need to say, and he had us shoot a couple of rounds down in the firing range. And after that course, it was three, four hours long. I then was uh, um, given the permission to buy a gun and have it in Massachusetts. <laughs> I thought, me? You kidding? I still didn't know how to hold it properly. And there are all sorts of people out there who who have even less training than I do, because the guy said, in most of the communities in Massachusetts, you don't need to fire the gun to get a permit. You just need to take the class. And I started to pull my hair out because I, I oh my God, I, I had no skill or facility. I listened to two of you and I trust that you have that facility. You know how to use a gun, how to 
how to store it, how to, you know, take the relief, the, the safety off, all of that sort of stuff. But I, I shudder to think of the number of people who think, oh, I've got a gun, I'm safe now. <laughs> but they'd shoot you know, they shoot a plane out of the sky before they were able to shoot somebody uh, or a target that they were aiming at. Mm-hmm. Mark, I, I want to empathize with you on something. Um, you know, I suspect you may be feeling outnumbered here. And, um, you know, uh, so I just want to address that. You know, this is kind of a two on one. And, um, yeah, you know, I just want to acknowledge that. And, you know, I hope. I appreciate uh, that. I don't particularly feel that because I, I know that both of you and, and uh, I, I feel level of trust with the both of you. So. Uh, and just for the record, I am keeping my opinions at bay as best I can <laughs> in this conversation, because there's so much I would like to say, but I, I'm not, this is, this conversation is for the two of you. It, it is really meant to show people that a, a, another civil conversation can be had on a very contentious topic. So. So let me get to some of the things, you know, I agree with you on. Um, so it's actually part of my job, uh, suicide assessment and suicide prevention. And, um, you know, if it came down to it, you know, I mean, I have not had the experience of somebody who I thought was suicidal and owned firearms. Um, but if that happened, it would be my responsibility to find some way to make that person safe, you know, whether it was giving the firearms to somebody else for a period of time or whatever. It could even involve, you know, going to the police. Uh, God forbid, I hate I would ever have to do that to a client, but it could happen. So, I mean, suicide is a complex topic. And, um, you know, for example, I mean, one thing people often, I mean, I've literally heard people say, you know, I heard it last night. Somebody said, you know, I, I understand that I'm more likely to be killed by my own gun than that I, that I, that I will kill somebody else. Well, I, that's a misuse of statistics. Um, basically, you either are going to kill yourself with your gun or you are not going to kill yourself with your gun. And I feel quite confident that I will never kill myself with my gun uh, because even if I wanted into my life, I wouldn't do it with a gun because I wouldn't want to become one of the statistics for the other <laughs> side. <laughs> yeah, that's, but, uh, that's a great point. And we're, we're learning things about, uh, we are learning things about suicide. You know, as part of my training, ongoing training, you know, I, ha- I learned some things that were very, very different from what I was originally taught. And it totally echoes what you said about the impulsive factor in suicide, you know, that people do it on a, as an impulse. But again, this is not universally true. I mean, sure. Not universally true. And I'm not really sure that anybody has good stats about you know, how many people there are who think about it for a very, very long time, or people who just, you know, like have an impulsive moment and do it. Uh, but we know that the impulse is a big factor, you know, so so I'm with you on that. You know, if somebody is in a state of deep depression and uh, impulsivity is something to look at, and I want to protect people from their own guns if they need it, if they are somebody who is at risk, totally agree with you on that. And I guess, you know, and you talked about gun safety. I mean, I think you will find that both Wilk and I are fanatics on gun safety and could quote you the three rules of gun safety. Um, even if, you know, you woke us up in the middle of the night and said, okay, tell me the three rules of gun safety right now. I bet you we could both do it. <laughs> I would think um, so. So, you know, I, I totally agree with that. I don't actually agree with the way that that guy taught you because as a firearms instructor, I don't believe in humiliating people. 
uh, as a form of teaching them. So I wouldn't use that tactic. Um, well, it was it was very effective, I, I thought, and and uh, um, and it just gave me an appreciation of how I can't say complex, uh, but it requires uh, more than a morning uh, training session to adequately be able to use a, a gun, a firearm, and. Uh, so I, I just, you know, I think that's really, really important. I don't see this as quite in quite the same way you do. And again, you know, I, I'm back to trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that this is another, you know, a firearms training requirement can be used as a way to prevent people from being able to defend themselves. Um, so... I for me this is complex and I have very very mixed feelings about it. I will tell you myself, I have extensive training in firearms, including you know training from um, uh, recon marines, um, you know that included speed reloading drills and all kinds of things like that. And by the way, when I had that kind of training, uh, there was one rule, or there were a bunch of rules, but one rule that was stated at the very beginning is if anybody has, there is no such thing as an accidental discharge. If your gun goes off and it was not aimed properly and it was not during a time when you were supposed to be shooting, you are out of this course. No refund. You never come back again. You never get another chance at this institute. So that was the level of seriousness about gun safety in that training. But again, you know, I have mixed feelings because, again, it's trust. This is sure. anything else, it can be misused to prevent people from being able to get a gun to defend themselves. Yes. What I'm hearing from both of you, and I, and I've, I've, again, this conversation, these conversations that we've had together are so important, but there's so much more. It's such a complex topic. There's so many things and so many different tributaries that this this could take because it's not just something that can be fully discussed and fully hashed out in a one hour conversation. But the, the important thing that I want everybody that's listening here on the derate the hate podcast to understand. And and those that have listened to, to previous episodes when, when we've had conversations with Paul and Mark and our other friends is these conversations are the important piece. You know, each one of those little tributaries can have its own, you know, little dynamic aspects to them. But the conversation is what really needs to be had. The conversation is what's going to help eliminate some of that fear that Mark was talking about, help increase some of that trust that Paul was talking about. The conversation itself is the important part. Because there's so many different things and so many different ways these conversations can be had, but education and, and civility and, and just just a sense of unity and and being able to come together, maybe not necessarily agreeing with the person on the other side of the aisle or the other side of the topic, but understanding the humanity in that person that you're having that conversation with understanding that they don't have ill will or bad intentions, 
we just grew up different. We see things different ways. But in in just like we talked about in the very beginning of this conversation, what values do we have? We all agree that safety is paramount. Safety is key. So let's wrap up this conversation, my friends. It's been a great conversation. There, there's a lot more that could have been said again, but for the sake of time, let's go ahead and wrap up. Tell me your, your final thoughts, Mark. Tell me what you thought of our, of our conversation here and, and how do you feel about things? Well, I need to start with you, Wilk, and your gracious hospitality. Uh, you frame this in a way that makes it possible uh, to talk about these difficult issues. So I really want to thank you for that. And to thank Paul, uh, he and I have known each other now over the course of our uh, uh, Braver Angels uh, uh, connections. And I just really appreciate it. And I learn more each time. Uh, and I I'm grateful for that. So your intent of doing this, Wilk, has succeeded at least with me. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Very good. I do appreciate it. And thank you for the kind words, Mark. Now, Paul, what are you taking away? How how do you feel about our conversation here today? Yeah, well, of course, very similar uh, to what Mark said. But I do, I do want to specifically give Mark credit uh, because I feel like when I talk to you, the conversation moves. Mm. It doesn't get stuck in the same old grooves over and over. And, oh. Oh my God! But we actually get into uh, some new territory, and for that, sir, I take my hat off to you. Thank you. And my hat goes off to both of you. What a great conversation between two guys that are clearly on opposite sides of the debate. And yes, as Paul said, it could have been another snooze fest. But these are two guys who are really looking for solutions, really looking to hammer out the details, finding common ground, and showing once again. That just because it's a contentious topic doesn't mean it has to be a contentious conversation. We can move forward having civil conversations about complex and complicated topics without getting upset at the other party. It's been proven time and time again, and that's the only way that we're going to get past the issues that we face as a country. Friends, if there's anything in this episode that provided exceptional value to you, please make sure to hit that share button. Share it with your friends, share it far and wide, and of course, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe right from our website so you can get the Derate the Hate podcast sent to your email inbox every week. So this is Wilk wrapping up for the week saying get out there, be kind to one another, be grateful for everything that you've got, and remember it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. If there is something that you would like to share with me, you can catch me on most social media platforms or you can email me directly, wilk at wilksworld.com. With that, my friends, I am going to back on out of here and we will catch you next week. Take care.